everyone. I'm Joanne Berry, special educator. And I'm Dr. Candida Fink. And this is Mental Health Goes to School, where a teacher and a psychiatrist walk into a podcast. You hear a lot about teen mental health and how students struggle at school. But accurate and useful information is hard to find. Over the years, Candida and I have had many conversations and learned from each other's experiences. We realize that we need more people in such a critical conversation. Join us as we talk to and learn from educators, mental health professionals, and parents with a wide range of experiences and expertise. Morning, Joe. Morning, Canada. How are you doing this morning? Peachy. Isn't that what I said <laughs> last time? I think I said peachy. It's still working uh, on a Saturday yeah. morning. Yep. Um, so this is Mental Health Goes to School. I'm Joanne Berry, special educator. And I'm Dr. Candida Fink, child and adolescent psychiatrist. And joining us today, we have uh, Jane Dembski from the School Avoidance Alliance. Um uh, I have no idea how many people actually know about school avoidance or sometimes called school refusal, uh, but it is definitely um, a concern for parents, educators, everyone. Um, and so we're very fortunate today to have Jean with us um, to help us understand more about what school avoidance is and what schools can do to help. So welcome. 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 Glad you're here. Thank you. I'm thrilled to meet you. I love the concept of your show, a psychiatrist and an educator. Um, you know, that's the what the ultimate we want. Teach educators and mental health professionals to work together. So this is the model. Absolutely. That's what that's what we are going for. So it's wonderful when we encounter people and get a chance to talk to people who are working in that space because yes, we think yeah. it's so critical. So um okay, so uh can you you know, tell us a little bit about you and what you do. And Yes. So um, I got into this because my son suffered from school avoidance and he is 27 now and he's doing great. But it was actually you know, a long time ago, but it really was the worst between sixth and ninth grade. And um, there were signs earlier on as well that I missed or didn't know was going to grow into a full blown chronic absenteeism problem. The problem with school avoidance and school refusal, those are interchangeably the same words. Um, at that time, and still somewhat today, no one heard of school avoidance or school refusal. And I didn't hear that term until a few years into seeing a number of psychologists and psychiatrists. Mm -hmm. So one day um, when the psychiatrist said, oh, that's school refusal, I was like, what? There's something that this is? Like, I'm not crazy? And you know what? Like, even though we know the term, it's still not in the average lexicon of an American. And yes, because of the pandemic, it's gotten worse and worse. But still, outside of our industry, people right. probably don't know what it is. But anyway, so I got involved because during that time with my son, oh, my God, it was excruciating. No one understood. He suffered from severe anxiety disorder. And the school thought he was manipulating them. And it yeah. was just so lonely and hard because you can't find the right therapist. And if the school doesn't believe that it's real and doesn't want to support you with the proper 
504 or IEP or services, it's a real uphill battle. And uh, it's very lonely. So when my son got better, I was like, I was like, I cannot let people deal with this. It, it took so much um, energy to learn all the things as I did. I'm like, I want to share this with people so they don't have to deal with this. So that's how I started about 10 years ago. I've grown since then <laughs> a lot and I've evolved. But that's a fabulous, I mean, to take what you learned from a very painful and arduous and difficult experience to try to, you know, turn that around into something to educate other people, um, families, families and educators, I think, um, is huge because there. I had no idea. Yeah. I was going to get a response. So like when I first started around 2014, I just had a website where I shared mental health treatment programs because there are very few inpatient partial programs in our country that mm-hmm. were equipped to handle kids with school avoidance. At that time, the number is growing, but it's still not enough. Mm-hmm. There are not enough beds for kids who really are struggling. And I didn't want parents to have to you know, um, waste resources because there are professionals out there who charge to right. tell parents where they should send their kids. Right whether they should go to wilderness or inpatient or partial or whatever. And um, personally, I don't believe in wilderness. That's another story. But um, I just wanted to give this away for free. So that's what I did. I spent like a whole year researching and vetting all these treatment programs. Then I put it up and I started seeing that people were coming to my website. So I added more and added more content. And then um, about five years ago, I decided really to go all in and just invested all my time in this. And we've grown so much, it's you know incredible. And now we have a school avoidance masterclass for parents, and then we have a professional development course for educators. And um, our mission is to educate parents so they know exactly what to do and they don't have to struggle. You know, while their kid is at home breaking down, it's difficult to have the time and the energy to pursue all the answers it's hours and hours of work. So I want to educate parents and educate schools because there really hasn't been good professional development about school avoidance past. Right. So well, I, I think it's it, at this point, it might be in, uh, helpful for people to know. Um, so you said there were early signs, which looking yes. back, you now recognize it. So yes. what, what might parents and educators be on the lookout for? in students? You know, well, well, first of all, a lot of these things happen at home and it is not communicated to the school because a parent might not seem, but might not know that the school cares or they might not recognize it. Like when my, my son and a lot of kids with school avoidance are extremely intelligent kids and uh, he was so smart. But in first grade, they had to do these reading logs and it was just to read a, you know, a few pages at night and write two sentences about it. And this was a daily grind and he couldn't write a sentence. And he started like screaming and running around the room and crying. And I thought I was an educated person, but I didn't recognize it as anxiety. I had no idea because we're taught that anxiety is, you know, sweaty palms, fast heartbeat, but kids are different in their presentation. So I had no idea. So that was the start. And he had increasing problems starting writing assignments, and it became a constant string of emails to teachers. So that's one thing I would say to schools. 
if you see a growing number of emails of concern from a parent, let's have a meeting and see what's going on. And if the child's in middle school, let's have a way to communicate all the teachers together. So we know if this teacher's getting emails and this one, that it's an issue. Because looking back, I sent, I don't know, 300 emails over the course of my son's education. And it's a huge sign, you know? Huge. Um, That's the sign. And more obvious signs are that in intermediate school, fourth or fifth grade, there were some days where he would not get out of the car and get into school. And I had to pull the principal out. And um, it was it was really those signs. And then when he started to have issues and crying and not wanting to go to school, it was a, it was a slow build. And it's different for every child. And um, what I say to schools also is it's really important because a lot of this stuff happens at home, maybe for a month or years before yeah. it becomes a crisis. So schools really need to tell parents and educate them about school avoidance. And every time we get a new customer, I say, please let me write a school avoidance section for your attendance piece on your website or your mental health piece. So parents know that this is a thing and what they should do and who they should contact at your school. Because the school, you want to know about it right away. You don't want to hear about a year when it's a crisis situation. So educate parents and let them know that you have social workers, mental health professionals, and an intervention team, and you want to help these kids. So that is really important. Yeah. When I saw that, we were were talking about before we we, uh, came on air, that um, the idea of having a mental health section on the website, on a district website or classroom website is... Uh, brilliant, um, like a, a a fabulous idea of a straightforward intervention that we can really sort of hands-on help districts with and having a specific section about school refusal in particular because it becomes such a crisis so quickly and is so misinterpreted. What I find, and sounds like what you found, is that it's interpreted as a behavior problem, being manipulative. You're just letting your kid get one over on you. Why don't they just try harder? How can you not get your child to school? It's, and of course, parents internalize that. And as the treater, we're feeling like, what well, I need, I need to fix this, and I don't, you know, it's not getting better yet. Um, and it becomes a just this escalating conversation of sort of blaming the student and often blaming the parent. And I find that that is some of the most challenging sort of emotional sort of just escalation. It escalates the whole story well beyond the fundamental problem. And so I love that idea, defining it. It's a thing. It exists. I think that's great. Yeah. Before, well, while I was starting this business, I was active in my local town's and counties stigma-free campaign. And it was an initiative back, it started like in 2016 to educate people on mental health because it wasn't talked about as much. And I took this to the next you know, degree. And I was like, I am gonna make our local school district put a mental health section on the website. So I met with the superintendent. I had to sell her on the whole concept. And she was like, okay, we're gonna do this. And, but the most important part of it was, I want you to tell the parents who they should contact for what mm-hmm. problems. I want you to tell them you have social workers and intervention people or behavioral uh, behaviorist and put that in. And she's like, um, I'm sorry, I can't do that. Uh, I don't want people calling us and bombarding us. 
And that was freaked me out. That was the major, that was the most important part to know who to contact in a school. So that didn't happen. Well, but at least there was a mental health section, but I call schools every day because we hear from schools every day and I have to go to their websites and I have to search for their phone numbers or emails. And I get very frustrated because it's not apparent how to contact a lot of these people. There are not a lot of phone numbers. Sometimes it's just an email, you know, with a click direct to their email bot to email them. The parents having a problem needs to call someone on the phone and no one answers the phone also. <laughs> and um, it's really frustrating. And I would love for schools to, every staff member to have a picture of themselves, their phone number, their email, best times to reach them, turnaround times when you'll hear back from me. Because way too many times parents are calling schools and might not getting returns back, calls back. For, if schools are overwhelmed, I get it. And there are so many issues at hand. But then the parent feels, wow, my school really does not care. Uh, so I really am a firm believer in all that transparency. Yeah. And Joanne, that ties into the, the piece that you sent me about uh, family engagement reducing. Yes. Uh, right. Right. Yeah. Um, and now I forget the exact. Okay. But but anyway, they they did a study in um, they uh, a well-respected university. I think. <laughs> we'll look it up and have the resource on in the we'll show have notes. It in the show notes. But anyway, they used Illinois because it was a representative cross-section of nationally of rural, urban, race, all, all of the factors, and discovered that the schools that worked on relationships with the families through whatever means, and they measured it through a bunch of different ways, like attendance at parent events, attendance at concerts and games, um, how many, what the newsletter, like what kind of newsletters, because in elementary schools, often the teachers have them, but as you get into the upper grades, it's more of a school-wide thing. But what was the effort on building relationships with the parents? And obviously, I mean, it seems obvious, the schools that had better or more um, engagement. Yeah, yeah, more engagement with families and parents clearly had fewer um, absence problems, behavior problems, all, all of the things. You know, it just it just worked better, which is common sense, but it does take work. It does. And, it takes, yeah. and back to the point of, you know, not being able to reach people, especially in the upper grades, I would say. You know, you got a giant high school with a couple of thousand kids, 3000 kids. It's like and there's two counselors or (laughs) whatever, you know, they are overwhelmed, which is part of the larger problem. Yes. You know, from your perspective, it sounds like the superintendent was well aware that this is a problem, but didn't have the resources or didn't want her staff to feel overwhelmed by knowing that there's a whole bunch of people out there that have situations where they do want to talk to somebody. So I think highlighting that as a larger problem. Systems issue, right? Yeah. In terms of the schools themselves. That's something we highlight in all of our training that uh, our research for school avoidance, and you have to share that research because that's an important piece that you found there. Um, I want to show that to my schools, but researchers and for school avoidance show that the best predictors of um, improved outcomes are parent school collaboration and early mm-hmm. interventions. 
and the problem is these things are just so easy to say. And of course, you know, school is like, I, we are intervening early when we hear about it. And we are, of course we collaborate with parents, but you have to go to the next step to actually look at your policy procedure and communication to say, we need to really focus how do we achieve this. It doesn't just happen. Right. Right. So, right. But I, that is so right. true. Preparing and being proactive and planning <clears throat> is so critical. So much of this work ends up being reactive rather yeah. than planful. Well, or and, proactive. and that just made me think of it's like, um, you know, when you're painting a room or a house or whatever, and they say 90% of the work is the prep work, you know, the <laughs> yucky stuff of scraping and sanding and all that is similar to this. It's like you, yeah, you got to think about it and what does it look like? Build the, put the stuff on the website, get the photos up um whatever all mm. all of those things and give the staff time to do this i know yes i know yeah and i feel for schools because i can see how overwhelmed everyone is we know there's so a shortage true. of school professionals mental health professionals so schools really are in a bind and they have to decide you know what are our priorities and um, I, I say, listen, if the kids aren't going to school, you have no one to teach. So right. please, please. <laughs> if, if there's been a theme across every episode we've done, it is, you know, the fact that mental health gets siloed out or thought of second nature is so counterproductive to any any other goals in a school, which is you have to be mentally and physically healthy. You have to be there. You have to be awake <laughs> to for us to, to teach, for to have someone to teach and to take next steps and for kids to learn so that these fundamental pieces, mental health is not separate. It is part of the whole background. And it just comes up in every context that we are speaking about mental health yes. in school is the, it, reframing mental health as a, as a foundational piece, yes. not a, oh, well, let's think about that now. And that's a big that's a big shift, I think, like for many, many districts. It is because um, these are educators. They've been educated as educators. They right. didn't for sure. go to med school or become a psychologist or mental health professional. So we are asking a lot of them. And the shortage of mental health professionals makes their roles even that more important. And a lot of like with school avoidance, if the school is not on board and supportive, these parents are in an uphill battle. It really... Mm -hmm it really takes the school to believe and want to help this family to make a difference. Huge, huge. Yeah. Um, I know we've talked quite a bit about the educator side of things. Can you tell us a little bit, there's a lot uh, in your work and your foundation about sort of the types of treatments that are helpful and sort of how families can find resources and what they should be looking for. Can you tell us a little bit about right. that? Well, the first line treatments for school avoidance are cognitive behavioral therapy, which includes exposure therapy. And exposure therapy is a major component, but the problem is there are very few professionals who do exposure therapy or do it right. So um, part of our education to our parents and our schools is we have a mental health uh, professional who runs a clinic and we have different modules on different pieces of CBT and exposure therapy, but they teach the premise of these um, therapeutic approaches. Not that we want the parent or the school to become the therapists, but we want them to follow this kind of model. So for schools, their um, 
bringing kids back to school is based on exposure therapy. So we call it like reintegrating kids back to school because kids who have been out for weeks, months, and years happens often. You can't just say, okay, we want John to come back to school on Monday and we expect him here. This is not going to happen. The kid's not going to walk into school miraculously. So it's going to, it takes a whole plan strategy to reintegrate. So that's, we talk about reintegration plans with schools all the time. And it, um, what's really important to note as well is sometimes I'll speak to a school and they're like, we are doing that. And I'm like, oh, tell me about it. And they're like, okay, yeah. So we told him that, you know, we want him to come for one period on Tuesday. Wednesday, we want to come for two periods. Thursday, we want to come for three periods. And next week, we'll come for a full day. I'm like, yeah, that's not the concept. You have to meet the child where they are. You know, the purpose of exposure therapy, as you know, mm-hmm. is to get comfortable in that level of exposure, your hierarchy mm-hmm. or fear. And it's called habituation and learning to exist and feel that you have um, you can handle that level before right. you move on. So you can't expect, you know, the child has to feel comfortable coming in for that period of day. And it become, you know, where he's not having a panic attack or anxiety disorder before you move to the next step. And again, schools weren't educated on this, so we don't expect them to know. So that's why I always beg, please take our course. Please take right. our course. Right. And for parents, we have the School Avoidance Masterclass for Parents. And um, that is everything I wish I knew as a parent, because going through it, there's so much to learn because school avoidance, because it um, intersects intersects with absenteeism, which brings into compulsory attendance laws, truancy laws. It affects schools average daily attendance, which is what their funding is based on. So therefore, there's a lot of pressure on school to get that child back in their seat, because if they are not back in their seats for a certain amount of days during the year, the school's going to lose funding. That's why schools get extra um, demanding about you must get your child to school. And they don't have the, um, the ability or the room to be more supportive and more, you know, let's take our time. Let's make this work a good long-term solution because they are stressed and they are pushed. So that's just another issue. But getting back to yeah. the school points masterclass, also it intersects with um, educational disability law. Mm-hmm. So parents have to become experts on that as well. That's something that we teach. And every time I was you know, dealing with school avoidance in these years with my son, I was constantly reading up on special education disability law. I was reading case law. I was desperate to find a case about the kid with school avoidance in the courts. I couldn't find one. But... Um, I learned a lot. And then when I got back to school, I started interviewing um, special education attorneys because I was like, I was like, I have to conquer this. I have to know what a 504 is, what an IEP is. I need to help school. So we do that in our on our website and in our course, we have a special education attorney. What's really important to note is that once parents learn, and I was the same, that there is something called a 504 plan where the kid can get accommodations and modifications and an individualized education plan, which also has modifications and accommodations, but but it includes services. Um, Every parent's like, okay, I need that, I need that. So what happens is it takes time. First of all, I wanna tell every parent, if you're listening, you must put this in writing and you must send it to the director of special education. And I would get a time stamp or email stamp that they received it. 
because once it is received, a time clock regarding the laws goes into play and they have to respond to you in a certain period of time. So always get that in writing. But what happens, it takes a long time to do that, to get the school to meet with you, to find out, to have the review, to decide if they want to evaluate. Now, this could take 30 days, 60 days. And in the meantime, a child is breaking down at home and they're missing more and more schools. So I was so thrilled when I spoke to the special education attorney in Texas one day. And he's like, you know, there is no law against schools providing accommodations and modifications at the intervention level without a 504 plan, without an IEP. There's nothing saying they cannot do that. Right. So why are we waiting? Why are we not helping this child right now? Mm -hmm. We are losing precious time. So that's just a really important factor. I love to tell schools and parents. I'm sorry, I'm blabbing. No, oh, this, no, is no this, this is critical. This is critical information. Well and schools that the 504s and the IEPs, they're awesome and they help kids. But when they were developed, no one was thinking about how school avoidance comes into play with these instruments. So along with a 504 plan and an IEP, we must develop a strategic plan addressing the school avoidance. Right. That doesn't happen a lot. We're just addressing things that happen when the kid is in the school building. But we need to figure out a plan on how to get this kid concurrent with the IEP. And a lot of the times, and I was the same, I had a 504 and an IEP eventually. It took me years to get, and it didn't address the school avoidance. So that's something that's really important. I find districts um, are very, I'm sorry, go ahead, John. Go no, ahead. I was going to say, I noticed in um, our Q&A document that we sent you that, that some schools will turn off classroom, which I just, I can't even understand that. Um, many, many schools either use the Google Classroom or a similar platform. Um, and for folks who don't know, particularly over the time of the pandemic, it, it was so essential yes. um, to have that. And students, so teachers can assign students work, for, in case anybody doesn't know this. We can assign, like if we want half of the class to do one thing and the other half to do another thing. We can do that. We can assign individually um, if a student is ahead or behind or whatever. Um, so it's an excellent tool, I would think, for someone who is can't make it into the building because they're in a body cast or because they can't get out of bed. But they can do it on their own time. And um, there is some resistance, I noticed, and I think this is true, to allowing students to complete their work not at school. But if they're working on their education as best they can, seems like that's an excellent tool right. um, for schools to be using. It's not, a, it's not the same as being present, as we all know, but it's better than not. And at least they can be learning at the rate that they can learn or, you know, doing what they can do outside of the class, which yeah, that that's a plus. And that might help in some instances with what you're talking about, the um, exposure. Mm -hmm. yes. Like if if and 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 what we see in my school is if st students have been out for some number of days, whatever it is and they feel like they're behind, they don't want to come back because they feel so. like they're too far behind. And if they can at least keep up to a little bit or completely 
through classroom or some other means, then that will remove that. That won't take the place of whatever discomfort they're feeling coming into the building or interacting with certain people or whatever it is, another barrier, but at least that barrier is reduced. And so I would encourage teachers or schools who are thinking that that's a helpful way to address the problem that it is not. Very punitive, right? It's just this punishment And it cuts the student, as as you say, there's no requirement that says they can't. Like, you shouldn't have to have a law to say student has access to education remotely. Yeah, well, that comes down to, I mean, this it's state by state and district by district on how they um, implement these laws. But the reasoning behind turning off the Google Classroom was because they wanted to take the child off their roles of being enrolled. So they weren't counted towards average daily attendance. Right. That was to help them with their funding. But obviously it is debilitating to a family. And I have... We have a parent peer to peer peer to peer support group. And one of my family, she was like, now a lot of kids with school ones aren't can't even do their schoolwork because they're just so um, right. yeah, they're yeah. so severely anxiety um, driven. But this child, he was able to do his homework. So the mom was like, Okay, you know, he's gonna do his homework every day. And that is a gift. And they turned off his Google Classroom. And she's like, what message does that send? My child was doing his wow. work. He won. That was his connection. So we always say to schools, like, you know, you cannot break off connection. You have to keep connected to these kids. Because yes. once you, it's like saying, you don't matter. We don't care. It's so sad. And schools do send letters. And this happens a lot also. We're revoking so-and-so's attendance for chronic absenteeism. And then if you want to, you know, let us know if you're making alternative education plans, if he's homeschooling, if he's going to private school, and if you want to re-enroll, you know, come here, bring your driver's license, show proof of residency. I mean, it's crazy. That's why. So that's a, a, like complete lack of engagement with the child, the student, and the family. Like, that's just robotic. Here's numbers. Here's this. That's that. You're done. Doesn't say anything about understanding the process, understanding what's going on, and working with the student and their family. I mean, that's that, and so debilitating and demoralizing for families and kids to have that kind of response when they, when the suffering is so profound. I mean, these kids and families, I mean, I I just preach to the choir here, but are suffering so greatly. And the idea that it's responded to with, you know, you know, the punitive response or disconnect disconnection in particular, turning off Google classroom or yeah, bye-bye. See ya. You're unenrolled or we're sending, you know, I've been doing this a long time, and I would say as recently as 15 years ago, one district I work with, their plan, they hired a company that sent people to the home to scare the kids into coming to school. There was, really? There was a company, and they were, I was like, oh, I heard from the district that they had sort of contracted with someone to help with school refusal. I was like, oh, yay, good. Turns out it was these people who just went in and went, you need to go to school. It's horrifying. Horrifying. But that was a lot of the, and I think it is a tiny bit better because of activists like yourself and more discussion of mental health, but the the response of punitive measures, calling the truancy officer, scaring kids, scaring families, literally sending people into the home to drag them to school. This was not actually an uncommon, that was specifically unusual having this 
company to do it. But that approach was pretty much what was happening for a long, long, long time. Bill is, you know, I, when people call me, obviously, hopefully they're interested in, you know, reevaluating um, those procedures and policies. But it really depends on the leadership of, you know, on top, the superintendent, maybe the director of special education, special services, and principals in the building. If they, you know, don't buy in or learn about, you know, restorative versus punitive, it's really, it's hard for uh, people underneath to push forward and ahead. And if I get a social worker or a counselor, I'm like, you know, I have to explain to them, you are the champion. You right. reached out. You, it's up to you to save these kids. You have to push this idea up uphill because it, it could be a real uphill battle. Um, and you know the the professionals know this. I speak. I was supposed to speak at a truancy conference a few weeks ago. I got COVID, but um, I speak to truancy professionals and I speak at juvenile justice conferences. And um, everyone there, well, you know, all the professionals know that uh, punitive is not working. And I said to a researcher once, I said, you know, we have to really do more. And she's like, well, we, we see that the average trickle down from research to getting out there to the masses is like seven years. I'm like, I don't, we don't have seven years of lives to waste. We've got to get on this now. Like, it's urgent. It really is urgent. So when I heard that complacency, it was really sad that it was just accepted like, well, we just hope the information gets there but no like but like you know you speaking speaking at like whenever we you know anyone listening speaking this is a movement this is something that needs to change and it's better for our society um and it really people say that sometimes i'm being dramatic i'm not this saves lives a child who is isolated in their home a lot of these kids do become suicidal i've heard way too many of them and it is heartbreaking and this truancy problem, that is one of the biggest problems I hear from parents all the time. Right. And it's heartbreaking. I hate when I hear, I'm sorry, I'm just going to tell you, I have another parent in North Carolina. Her husband died a year and a half ago, and then she lost one of her sons seven months ago. And obviously the other son is traumatized. Of course. The school has taken them to truancy court. And I'm like, how can they not get that you're the kid? It's trauma. It's just trauma related. Oh my goodness. And it's like this poor woman and this child, they're being beaten down. Yes, that like, breaks it, my I, heart. Yeah. How could that even possibly Right. How can that happen in this day and age? How are humans? Yeah. How is that not happening? Oh, oh wow. wow. Another thing, judges must be educated. And yes. Please, if yes. you are a... Uh, an administrative large judge listening to this right. or some of the court or legislation. We really want the judges to be educated on school avoidance because they're making a lot of these rulings with um, no information to help them understand the situation. Right. 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 Absolutely. No, I think that's the the idea of restorative justice, mental health courts, um, you know, and, and I mean, there's just so many layers here, like the idea that placing this problem under mental health, then the idea of putting them in a mental health, if they're, if they have to sort of take, you know, action somehow that, that it would be a mental health court, not a just, you know, juvenile justice delinquency kind of story. I mean, it's, you're absolutely right. And I, well, I, and uh, yeah. Well, I would, I would say even using the word truant or truancy. Right. Um, it's a horrible word. Is, it's, you know, it connotes 
bad. crime and right evil exactly. doing and exactly. bad things when when that's probably like are there truants maybe i don't know um <laughs> Joanne, I feel the exact same way. I'm like, really? Are there truants out there these days? Is there a kid really smoking a cigarette on the corner? You know, it makes me—it makes me think of 1950s movies. Exactly. Black and white, no, I think of West Side Story. And yeah, exactly. And Officer Krupke. I mean, yeah. really, the whole thing. I, I hate that word. And um, in some of my research, and I was trying to say this to someone. I did an interview on a, a news station the other day. I wasn't able to finish my. Um, discussion about it that um, the in the uh, research it says okay how does school avoidance and truancy differ well school avoidance is driven by emotional distress maybe a lot of times anxiety related and the parents know where the child is they're usually at home truancy on the other hand is seeking tangible reward, rewards Sarah well, I can't even say the word Sarah petitious Surreptitiously? Um, yeah. Surreptitiously, oh. right. Like yeah. behind. Surreptitiously. And, you know, it's concealed by the parent, which is true. But are these kids being stereotypical? <laughs> and if they are missing school, there's a reason for it. Absolutely. So can we get Absolutely. a new word? Can we just say, you know, absent? <laughs> right. Yeah. I, yeah. Couldn't agree more. I think, yes, from a, a mental health perspective, I think kids who are struggling with chronic absence from school. There are always bigger stories. There are so many stories. Now, some are very specifically anxiety disorder related, you know, school. I almost sometimes will call it with families and districts to talk or in the letters I write, I will call it school phobic because I want them to understand the mental health and anxiety connection. It's not such a term. That's not a DSM-5 diagnosis, but I think it sometimes sort of carries it a little differently or is heard a little differently than refusal or avoidance. Mm -hmm. um, but even beyond that, the idea that, you know, trauma in families, lack of resources, unhoused families, um, loss, I mean, just mental illness in the parent illness. And I mean, that you could go on and on and on. Yes. Violence in, in a, in a community, um, lack of support in a, in a community. I mean, there is so much that goes into the idea of kids who are not able to attend regularly. And the idea that we're going to call it a crime and be blaming of the parent or blaming of the child to me is astonishingly uninformed and damaging and harmful at every level. So I'm just, I agree with both of you. <laughs> the word needs to go. And we really need to think of it as a much broader issue under which sort of school sort of phobic response and even school work phobic response, right? So there, we were talking about how like with your son and so many of the kids I work with, and I'm sure you see this too, Joanne, doing the work itself triggers these anxious responses. So even that needs exposure work, being able to just literally open your computer and look at your assignments, being able to open Google Classroom can stir up so much emotion or just can't be done. It can just be a real shutdown. So anyway, that was a lot of blab blabbing, but... Um, Candy, I'm curious. Um, when you have a child with school avoidance, are you are you ever brought into the school to go into a meeting to um, advocate for the child? Um, I, you know, I am invited on occasion. Um, often they don't want me to be there. The district doesn't really want me to be a part of it. I will tell you, it's hard often to get meetings specific to it. The school just keeps trying to handle it like one piece at a time rather than a more comprehensive. But when there are meetings and there's just a logistic issue of me being able to be there because 
I just don't have the time in my schedule, right. but I have been there many times by phone or virtually. I send very detailed letters and then I invite parents and teams, school teams. I'm in the loop on numerous email chains. We talked about your emails and emails and emails, and I will continue to send important you know, documents as needed or make calls when I can and when, when they're willing to accept them. Um, they often just don't want to hear about it is the problem, right? So, and even, even when I have gone to meetings, it's like we'll put together an entire plan and then it just falls apart and people wow. are in, inconsistently following. I mean, I have a couple of cases recently and I just, it's been three, four, five years between middle school and high school of ed educating and this mom is an advocate and I can't wait to connect her to your organization, but like it just, I can't tell you how much great information she shares. She, we talk about it. She uses that language. She brings it into the conversation and two out of the six teachers respond at all. Had a meeting once where literally none of the teachers showed up. None, zero. Is this for an IEP meeting? This was for like a review, like things were crisis, like IP, I know legally they have to show, right? This was, things are kind of crashing and burning. I need a team meeting, please. Nobody, not a single teacher. Wow, that is really bad. So, Does this child have an IEP now? To that, it was just the, another quick point to make before we run out of time is getting IEPs, and I'm sure you see this, for school refusal can be a heavy lift. They would, they did not want to define this as something worthy of an IEP because it could, you said this, we're responding to what's happening in school, not about a, that's happening at home. That's not an IEP thing. So it took two or three, four years. We finally yes, got an IEP. That, right. So I'm sure you've run into that over and yes, over. That, all the time. It's a, uh, it takes a really strong parent, determined parent to get through this maze so that's why we do what we do with educating them. The course we try to feed them all the expert information in one right. quick place, and have our parent peer to peer to peer support group. We also have a private Facebook group because um, otherwise parents feel alone. And uh, yeah, it takes a strong human being. And I have to say, um, I really feel I am a strong person. But at some point during my son's crises, like I felt like I was falling apart, and I really. You know, I would really have to push myself to get off the couch in the morning to make my phone calls, to find out how to help the kid. You know, I was able. I, I never got debilitated. I was always pushing, pushing. But it breaks a human down. And many of our parents also are breaking down in the home. They are mm -hmm. at near break from an emotional breakdown. So um, and oftentimes the school will say, well, the parent isn't working with us. And so I say, what is the proof of that? Well, we, we call in the morning, um, they don't answer our calls. I'm like, listen, after a certain point, we dodge those calls because what are you supposed to say? My son has anxiety and then you're going to say, well, get him to school. It's just not, parents don't want to answer the phone. Right. They can't right. deal with it at some point. So, yeah. It's because of that punitive yeah. approach. But there is hope. I want to tell hope. you that. I, like I that. have people in my peer support group whose kids have been out for months, 10 months, 18 months, 20 months, and they have recently returned to school, all of them, like over the course of a few months. 
and um, the parents were determined, driven. They felt supported in our support group. They took our master class, so they understood their rights, and uh, they persevered. And these, when I heard that these kids are back to school, like tears came to my eyes. Like I was like, "Wow, this is just amazing! It's what a, an accomplishment! It was huge. Yes. It's huge." So, don't give up hope to parents. You know, just educate yourself and contacting the school immediately and realizing that the school might not be educated on school avoidance. So you have to be the educator and the one to be the knowledge expert and don't rely on them because they don't know school avoidance. Right. Well, you, you can't, it's kind of like a negative, you know, it's like all I see is the kid is not in my room. Right. Or in my class. So and in a public school where a teacher has 100, 120 students, it's difficult. And I'm not defending it, but I'm just saying it's difficult to say, oh, this kid has been absent for X number of weeks. They must be sick. When they come back, I'll deal with it kind of thing for for many of the individual teachers. It is a systemic problem. And I agree. Teachers should learn more about what that looks like and how they can, maybe one teacher can't do a lot, but at least that student could maybe keep up in one area or know that they have a person. Cause that's another thing we know, as long as a student feels like they have a connection to an adult, it can be anybody, an adult in the building. And if it's this one teacher that was willing to accept some work or when the student comes back, and this is what we do in my school. A school a student has been out for a while or every day. It's like, good morning. How you doing? Cute t-shirt. <laughs> right. Hey, I didn't know shoes came in that color. You know, whatever. It's like try just, to just to welcome them back. And you know, I know in the exposure yeah. system we work, right? Um, Jane, I don't mm-hmm. you know, some kids will need to spend some time in a safe place or with that safe adult when they're first in the building. They're not going to suddenly be able to do work or attend classes and stay in a class or participate yeah. in a class. It's a very gradual process for many kids. Right. Yeah, catching up even... on schoolwork isn't the first goal. No, the first absolutely goal not. is getting the child back into school comfortably. And that's another mistake would happen, which happens if kids are able to get back to school, then the work is thrown at them and it's not modified. And that was, you know, obviously set the kid back. Right, right. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely uh um a thing that that many teachers need to get a have a change of heart on. It's like, well the student just missed an entire unit. Let's just excuse that. Or we're almost, you know, or they miss X number of assignments. Which ones are actually important for them to be able to feel competent mm-hmm. in this class? Or is it better for them just to come to class, participate in the conversation, not part- just listen? Sometimes that's because not everyone likes to talk in class. So maybe just coming and sitting in the room and knowing that that's okay. Mm-hmm. And right. and what I do in when especially when we get new students and they're like sometimes you're just gonna feel like you can't stay in here more. Just ask me to go to the restroom. I'm gonna say yes. You know mm-hmm. when you have to go, and just come back within ten minutes, and I won't have to like have people looking for you. But just go take a break, walk, go the go and go to the bathroom, get a drink of water, do whatever. But you can have a chance to reset. 
and hopefully come back. And right. if you can't come back, that's okay too. But just ask, you don't have to say, I'm having a situation. Just say, I need to go to the bathroom. Right. I, I just I have to tell you something. I spoke to a parent yesterday from our peer support group. She Her daughter's back at school. And she told me that she fought for this one accommodation that I've never heard schools agree to, and it was awesome, that the child was told she didn't, didn't even have to ask to go to the bathroom. She was just able to get up and leave, and there was a safe space for her to go. Not even that there was an adult there, and that she no one came in, because what happens is even if the kid does go to a safe space, then there's something an adult a professional coming to them five minutes later, are you ready to go back? Are you ready to go back? Are you ready to go back? And it's not relaxing. It's anxiety, even more anxiety provoking. Yeah, yeah. Said just that they would leave her alone and then she would go back when she was ready. Now, she had this modification in place, accommodation for a year. She only used it four times. So it was just the fact to know that right. she had that right. It's huge. Yeah. Huge. Yep. So I love that, that it wasn't even used. It's a great accommodation. Right. Yes. That's so, huge. And I, I would say if, um, to the point of somebody checking in, like right away, just like, just walk by. Yeah. See? You don't have to say anything. Just make sure that the kid is okay. Um, and obviously if they were in a puddle of tears, you might. <laughs> yes. And it, you know, ask if you could be helpful. Um, and sometimes somebody just needs to have a little cry. And, and that that's might, okay, right? Yeah, but, but not but to be on jumping the, on them, ready to but, come back, ready to come but back. But to be, uh, once again, back to relationships, attuned to if the student presents right. this way, they're just saying, I need a minute. Or if they're presenting that way, they're saying, please help me. Yes. But they don't have the language or whatever. So, once again, the relationship building, understanding, and I get that that's hard when you go to school, a, a, you know, a big high school with a couple thousand kids, but somebody should know. Right. I um, have a school who told me that they instituted something which is awesome, that at least one staff member, and sometimes two, Besides just knowing a child's name, they want them to know specific information about this child. So one person knows more than just, you know, jot your name. They would know, like, if they have siblings, if they have a pet, if they play sports, if they play chess, so, or what their favorite class is, to know right. about them. So right. that child feels that someone in the building cares. Yep. Yes. Yeah, I, love that's, that's awesome. I, I love that yeah. so much. I do. I think that's... And that can be, you know, like I think you said that was like a school-wide um, intervention or yes. or model. And I think yeah. part of what is so, I think, ultimately what we look for is the idea of making some of these interventions universal so that they're not interventions. They're just universal yes. sort of mental health, you know, supporting and preventive and, you know, mm -hmm. it, right. But that, you know, that's obviously the long, the long yes. haul, but right. But so but that, that a kid doesn't feel like they're the only one being sort of checked in on, that every kid knows they have someone right. there. Well, yeah. and it also helps um, everyone in school feel more connected and spreads out that it's not just the teachers. It could be the cafeteria lady who's saying, oh, yes. hey, how's you your won. dog doing? Or person in the building. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And I think that would, for many of adults who work in schools, they wouldn't, they would welcome that opportunity. Yes. Um, cause they like being around the kids. I mean, why do you do those jobs? I, right. As we were talking about earlier, it's like a lot of times kids will be like, Oh, you just hate us. You're giving us this test because you hate us. It's like, if we hated you, we could come in here and do this. Every day. 
<laughs> we we like hanging up. Sure, there's days when you, child, are on my last nerve, but overall, we can't do it if we don't like hanging out with you guys. So, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and that's true. I think for any pretty much anyone who works in works a school, yeah. yeah. Um, so. I think we're probably, we've had this fabulous conversation. I think we've gone <laughs> over, but it's not over yep. anything. This was so important, but right. To, to As we start to wind down, Jane, if you could just sort of review again, you know, your, uh, your presence where people can find you, how they can connect with you and your organization. That would be terrific. If you could Thank just you. So that. our website is schoolavoidance.org and we have a tons of information on our website and then we also have a school avoidance masterclass with some leading clinicians. We've been very lucky that when I've been doing this for so long and I connected to many um, researchers and clinicians around the country who specialize and they, they built modules and talk about like cognitive behavioral therapy, exposure therapy, in-home strategies and special education, which was so important and a school insider. So parents know how they're right and how to work with the school. So that's the school avoidance masterclass for parents. And for schools, it's so important we have our educator professional development. And you can find all about that on schoolavoidance.org. And, uh, you know, as you say, mental health is foundational to school. School avoidance education is foundational to improving outcomes and preventing more chronic absenteeism. So please <laughs> check out that. And parents, we also have a private Facebook group on school avoidance and you can find that at uh, facebook.com slash group slash school avoidance and i just wanted to say one more thing that i really yeah. I advocate for all the time and i haven't heard many people talk about it lately maybe because i'm out of the loop but i think that mental health education in schools is a huge component that's missed and i do know that there is mental health first aid and i don't want to knock that that's a great program it's a very small piece of information. It's great to start mental health first aid, but kids need comprehensive mental health education early on in their lives and especially cognitive behavioral therapy, because mm -hmm. why do we have to be in therapy to recognize that we have automatic thoughts, that we talk to ourselves throughout the day, that we have automatic negative thoughts that really shape um, our emotions and our behaviors? Why do we have to wait for that until we go to therapy? You know, like if every child knew that, they'll be able to deal much better in the world. So what are we waiting for? That's yep. what emotion, emotion ed, uh, you yeah, know, just totally. like phys ed, also a yeah. thing that theme that comes up over and over with, yeah. you know, everyone we talk to in this space, these are, yes, mental, I, I'm, I'm reinforcing exactly what you're saying. Mental health education from the ground up, you know, yes. K pre-K to, to 12 should be, you know, really integrated. Definitely. So. All right. Any other Absolutely. thoughts or questions, Joe? No, I think this has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, and um, for anyone out there, do check out um, the School Avoidance Alliance. We will, of course, have the links in the show notes. Yeah, you can find us at our website, mentalhealthgoestoschool.com. Yes. And our uh, social media, we're on, the, under that same handle, we're on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn. And um, and and write to us, send us notes, let us know what you thought about this conversation. If you have other questions, ideas, 
uh, for topics or coming from here. And um, Jane, this has been fabulous. We hope that you will come back and join us again at another point. We can sort of assess where things are. Yeah, I love talking with you. I learned from you. So, and it was a nice conversation. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Take, take Bye. care.